everybody. Welcome back to Two Bye Guys. It has been a long while, hasn't it? I've been off the air for a while. I've been pretty busy doing lots of different things that I'll tell you about. But I'm very excited to get back to the podcast and to share some of these interviews with you this season. I have some amazing guests. So it's exciting to be here. And thanks for listening. So what have I been up to since the last episode dropped a while ago? I wrote a book. As many of you know, if you listened to the last season and if you've been following along with this story, I have written a book about bisexual married men. It's specifically about bi men who are married to women. More different experiences coming soon, I hope. But this book is called Bisexual Married Men, Stories of Relationships, Acceptance, and Authenticity. And the book is both a memoir about my life and my relationship and also an oral history featuring 13 interviews with other bi guys who are married, most of whom are listeners of this show. So I want to thank everyone who participated or who even offered to participate. I still have a database of all of you guys, and I'm hoping to continue this project in some form or another. If you haven't signed up for that database and you are a bi-married man, the link is in our link tree on our social media. You can still add yourself to the database just in case I do more stuff in the future. But the book features 13 interviews. I'm so excited for it to come out. It's all done. We're in the copy editing phase now. There's a few logistical things left to happen. And the book is supposed to be released on November 30th, 2023. You can pre-order it on Amazon now. I will have it available on my website soon, which I'll tell you about. And you'll be able to find it wherever books are sold. And in honor of my book, this season is book season. I am interviewing all by authors who have some awesome new books out. And some of the people I've interviewed, you've met before. You heard them on this podcast before they wrote a book. Now they've written a book. We're going to talk about that. And then there's some people who are new to the podcast and have written some amazing books that I love. We've got Vineet Mehta and Benjamin Perry coming back to the podcast. We've got Jessica Fern, who wrote Polysecure, which is one of my favorite, favorite books. We've also got an author named Kate Mangino, who wrote a book called Equal Partners that is about relationships and gender dynamics. It's really fascinating. And more after that. So I'm very excited for this season. We'll get to the first interview with Zachary Zane, who wrote a book called Boy Slut recently. It's awesome. You should check it out. We'll get to that in a minute, but first I have some more exciting news. I'm starting a Patreon for bonus material, early access, and ad-free episodes of Two Bye Guys. So I'm a member of the Writers Guild of America. I am currently on strike. Job security is up in the air. And even if the strike ends, it still is because this industry is quite unpredictable. I really love doing this podcast. I love chatting with the amazing people in the bi community and sharing it with you all. But the truth is, I've been doing it for four years, almost five, and it is a lot of work. Uh, and I'm so glad that the first five seasons have been out there as a free resource for the bi community available to everyone. And moving forward, the vast majority of my content will still be free to all. But if you've been enjoying Two Buy Guys and have a few bucks to spare to support my work, I would really appreciate it, and I want to make it worth your while. So if you subscribe on Patreon, you will get access to each episode as soon as I finish editing it, whether that's the night before I upload it publicly or a week before or sometimes further in advance if I'm banking episodes, which I am right now. You will also get a completely ad-free listening experience. Many of you know I've partnered with Zencaster to do both host-read ads and also programmatic ads now. You may have noticed those recently. You will hear none of that on the Patreon, just the interviews and updates like this from me. And most importantly, you will get bonus content, whether it's five extra minutes or 45 extra minutes, you never know. Every episode will have at least some bonus content that you can only hear on Patreon. This episode has about 20 minutes of bonus content, so after you're done listening here, I highly recommend checking out those extra 20 minutes. They're, they're pretty interesting. Uh, plus, I also have some random old clips that I've saved in a folder and never posted, and they're kind of fun and random, and I will be releasing stuff like that here and there as an extra bonus to all subscribers. There will also be more stuff coming soon on the Patreon, possibly related to the book. 
So subscribe on my Patreon. You'll get access to everything I talked about, updates about the future, and you'll help support my work. It's only $5, and it really helps me keep all this going. So thank you. Before we begin this episode, I do unfortunately have to apologize for one thing. Due to my extended hiatus, I was a bit rusty in the recording process. I forgot to change the gain setting on my microphone when I recorded the first couple episodes, so the audio quality on my end is not ideal. Uh, Right now, it probably sounds fine, but when the interview starts, you will notice a difference. I do apologize. It's pretty bad right away because I was very animated and excited to begin the interview, but it does get better as the episode goes on, a little bit better. I hope it's not that obtrusive. The same thing unfortunately happened in my second episode, but to a much lesser degree. After that, it's fixed. I remembered to change the gain. I know what I'm doing now. Anyway, you'll notice it in this episode. I really do apologize, but I thought that my conversation with Zach was great and spontaneous and authentic, and I wanted to bring it to you even though the audio is clipped, is what we call it. So it won't happen again. I know you'll enjoy the episode anyway. And without further ado, here is professional, bisexual, boy slut, bi slut, Zachary Zane. Welcome back to Two Bye Guys. It's been it's been a while. Nice to see you all again. Well, I can't see you, but it's nice to be back. And we're back for our book review season. I took a break to write my book. We're interviewing a bunch of authors this season. I've got a whole lineup of authors, and I I haven't really set a schedule yet, but I'm pretty sure this is the season premiere. If it's not, I'll edit this out. But nice. <laughs> and also, we have our first ever repeat guest, I think, ever, who's back for a second time to record a new episode. Welcome back to the podcast, professional bisexual and mega, bisexual mega influencer, (laughs) Zachary Zayn. Hello. Well, I I feel honored uh, for returning to the podcast here, for being the only one. And uh, I'm I'm excited to be another bi guy on this podcast here. Yes, there were there were two bi guys the last time you were here. Well, three, including you. Now they're now it's just me, and so now it's just two of us again. There's there always there's usually two, uh, but we still call it two bye guys, and we wish Alex well. He's doing lovely work at the Trevor Project, and is just oh, nice. doing such important work. He doesn't have time to bullshit with us, but oh. but, I'm, but I'm glad we both have time to do this. Oh, I know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you haven't listened to the last episode with Zach, you should. You should go back and do it. Just in case, uh, Zachary Zane is the sex and relationship columnist for Men's Health. He writes Sexplain It, uh, where he answers all your questions about masculinity, ethical non-monogamy, sexual insecurities, and the queer community, with a bit of a focus on bi, bisexuality and fluidity. He is the co-author, since we spoke, he has co-authored Men's Health Best Sex Ever, there's a period after each word. <laughs> 200 frank, funny, and friendly answers about getting it on. His work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Playboy, Vice, GQ, Rolling Stone, many, many more. I could list it forever. And his new book is out now. It's By the time you hear this, it's been out for a few months. You Maybe you've read it already. I hope you've read it already. It's called Boy Slut, A Memoir and Manifesto. I just binged it this week. Uh, I I couldn't space it out. I had to binge it. Uh, I love that. I love hearing that. And I loved it. Everyone should buy a copy. It's great. It's a lot of stuff we talk about here and then some. And half the time, maybe more than half the time, I felt like I was reading about my life, like you were writing about me. And I'm sure many people will feel that way. So so it's good to have you. Welcome back. I, I have topics I want to discuss. I don't have as Let's many questions like last time, but I will, sure. start, I will start with a question, which is tell us about life since 2020 when we last <laughs> spoke and how, how did this book come about and, and, and you're, all your writing for men's health. What's been going on since we last spoke? Yeah. Wow. It's been a, it's been a moment. It, it has been a moment. Um, So yeah, uh, COVID happened. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I'm not sure if your listeners are. No. What um, what was that? Yeah, what was that? 
But that actually allowed me and gave me time to write the book Boy Slut. Um, you know, I was sitting at home and I was doing my Zoom Pilates and jacking off 5,000 times a day until my dick was raw. And then I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's finish let this book we've been talking about and trying to work on forever. Let's do that. So it did give me an opportunity to just kind of sit home and write because literally there was nothing else I could do. Um, and that boy slut has really been the focus for the last like three years of my life. Um, and I'm so excited that it's out now and yeah, it's been getting really good feedback yeah. and especially from, it makes sense, especially from bisexual, pansexual, queer, fluid, polyamorous, kinky people. Like the, this book is for everyone. You know, I really think anyone can learn, uh, can yeah, learn about how to overcome sexual shame, but it really is for, it's, it's my love letter to the bi community in a sense. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I went through a similar evolution with my book, which is about bisexual married men. And it's, it's a little bit memoir like yours, but it's mostly oral history of other bi men who are married to women. And I, I also wouldn't have probably done it without the pandemic. Cause it was like summer 2020. I had like nothing to do besides this podcast. And yeah. And like, I just decided there's all these guys out there that are listening and nobody is talking about that experience. And let me interview them. And then it took like a year or two to figure out that this was a book and then to get the book deal. And then actually writing the book is hard. Uh, like that was hard. That was harder than I thought, but it's a long, long process. I have bad news for you. Uh, the writing the part is writing the book is not the hardest part at all. Oh, oh god! Uh, or at least it wasn't for me. Sorry, I, I can't speak for your uh, experience. Um, the anxiety that comes afterwards, uh, the publicity, the going out. I think it sounds like our books are definitely a little bit different, but because I share so much about myself in this book, and I think there's this misconception for me. Where because, you know, I also have like a digital zine called Boy Slut, which is either great branding or confusing. Yes. Um, but the digital zine is like nonfiction erotica. And I write really raunchy, kinky sex stories that are like over the top. Not over the top. They're just intense. And they're amazing. And because I do this, people are like, oh, Zach, you're so open about everything in your life. And I'm like, well, n no, I'm open sexually. And I like me talking about my hairy asshole getting DP'd. It isn't actually that vulnerable for the way that it is for other people. Yeah. Versus in this book, I, I talk about my relationship, you know, with my family. I talk about past partners where I treated them poorly. You know, obviously that was not my intent. You know, it was not malicious, but, but, but I hurt people along the way while I was closeted, while I was confused, when I didn't know how to communicate my feelings and kind of reliving that. And so this is just really personal and i have some you know opinions that i didn't even think were controversial but apparently they are uh, and getting some feedback for that and you know of course people people read things through their own lens that has been very clear to me where um i sometimes feel like they read a completely different book where i'm like wow. how was that your takeaway from what I said, that's the exact opposite of what I said. I have sentences that shows that that's the exact opposite of what I said. But really, people read it through their own lens. Um, mm -hmm. And that can just be a challenging thing to overcome. So th that's been very challenging for me. And I say this knowing that the vast majority of the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. And, and that's such an incredible feeling because I, I didn't fucking know. I don't know. You know, obviously your editor tells it's a, it's good and the people who've read it are like, it's great. But getting these pretty much daily now, I get emails or messages being like, this book changed my life. I feel so much less alone. This mirrored my experience. I'm able to embrace my kinks. Or even if it's not that deep, it's, um, it's given me a lot to think about. It's given me a lot to reflect on my life, and I think I want to take my life in a different journey. I don't even know exactly what that journey is yet, but you've opened my eyes to new things. And so that is incredible. That is an absolutely incredible feeling, and that has mm -hmm. been the best part of writing this book. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. I have so many questions to ask. I want to hear about this con controversial stuff because it didn't strike me. 
Well, uh, yeah, right? I get it, but 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 also I, I forgot to mention your your uh, the newsletter or Substack. Is it on Substack, Boyslet? Where yeah, can people Substack. find it? Okay, I've read a bunch of it. It's awesome. It's so funny and also like kinky and cool and it, wild. And you've got great contributors doing stuff. Yeah, um, it's not just me, which is cool. The writers from across the globe contributing. Yeah, and it's great. And I and I have to admit, having read some of that, I expected the book to be more of that. And there there's some of that, but actually, you're right. It's it's much more personal outside of the bedroom for you. And it's all about you, the how you developed this bi identity and how you confronted so much shame that yeah. I I also had and how family, even even a very progressive queer accepting family, can can you know and other culture can like guide fuck you, you that are not great. yeah and fuck you up um so i want to talk about all that stuff and the shame but but okay but you mentioned it so to, what, what's been the most controversial stuff what have people uh reacted to in ways that are unexpected it's and really no queer man has reacted. I mean, it's it's really the straight people who, who are taking an issue, you know, with this, which makes sense. But one thing that was more controversial that I didn't necessarily realize would be is I talk about sexual autonomy and being allowed to have decide on the level of sexual risk that you would like to take. Mm. Um, and I talk about this in regards to like wearing condoms. Now, if you are a queer man in New York City, Los Angeles, New York, you will notice that no one fucking wears condoms for grinder hookups, for sniffy hookups, for anything. The norm is not to do it. Since kind of the age of prep, um, we're not worried about getting HIV the same way. Um, as for the other STIs, they are treatable. You know, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, you get treated, you're okay, and you're okay accepting that level of risk, and clearly your partner's okay accepting that level of risk. And I think it's very important for sexual autonomy to be able to do this, and I kind of explain how, you know, as a, as a society, we kind of impose almost somewhat arbitrarily at times what the level of sexual risk is that you're allowed to take. And here's what I mean. You, you have very few doctors being like, you should be wearing condoms during oral sex. Like, because like, they just know that's so unrealistic. So they don't push it. Like, I've never had a doctor say that to me. And yet you can get oral gonorrhea. You can get uh, oral chlamydia. Fun fact, I've had both because I love sucking dick. And it's just like, yeah, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop sucking dick. Uh, this is something that brings me joy. I want to do it. I'm knowingly accepting the risk that I can get an STI while doing this. And uh, me explaining that like, oh, we should be allowed to accept the risks for not wearing condoms. Uh, I, I didn't th like think that was going to blow up people's spot. I make it very clear. I'm like, if you want to wear, you absolutely should wear condoms. You know, this is your choice. But if you are getting tested often, you're honest with your partners about it. Because um, honestly, like, the people, so many people lie about their statuses, about the last time they got tested. People are very manipulative and coercive trying to not wear condoms. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that fuck boy who's like, I can't come if I wear a condom. So like, I'm going to like, please let me not wear it. It's like, no, you respect people's boundaries. Um, and one thing I did is I compared kind of sexual autonomy and condom use to a common philosophy in a uh, kink and BDSM culture called RAC, which mm -hmm. is risk-aware consensual kink. Um, and what that means is you kind of knowingly accept certain risks while having certain like intense BDSM acts. And of course, you still do your best to mitigate the risks. So like if you're getting tied up, you have a pair of safety shears next nearby. So that way you can cut, cut them loose very quickly in case they're losing circulation. You have safe words. If you're using choking, you have a safety action. Often it is um, like tapping tapping someone out. If this person's getting tied up and you're doing choking, often what they have is you hold something in your hand like a squeaky toy. And if you drop the ball, then you know that person has passed out and you have to stop. So um, there's a lot of precautions that you take, but you still take these risks. And you're allowed to take these risks. But what is rack is contingent upon is education and information. You cannot take these risks unless if you have all the information possible. Um, 
And that means, you know, help sexual health information. You have to trust that your partners are being honest to you and they're not lying to you. Um, and like, and I think you should be allowed to kind of make these choices as to what you're going to take. And because sex is always risky. There's always risk involved. And that's why sex experts and myself included have moved away from saying safe sex to safer sex. And that's because condoms break. They're actually, they're not effective in, present, in protecting against HSV, herpes, and also syphilis, which are skin-to-skin contact. They're not 100% effective in preventing pregnancies. There's always a risk that you take. There's always an emotional risk that you take. And I would argue that the emotional risks I've taken during sex and my heartbreak is a lot worse than the times I've gotten drip from my dick. And then I go in and get antibiotics and I'm fine 24 hours later. Right. Um, mental mental health is part of your overall health. And we sometimes minimize it as like something you can get over. But it's, yeah, mental and, health matters too. And so I, I explain this. I think some straight people were kind of shocked to learn that like queer men don't wear condoms the way that they used to, and they don't really wear them for sexual encounters. Of course, I'm not trying to generalize. There are plenty of queer men that still do, but not as many. And the norm is not to, and I can say that. And it was like, sometimes people like would be writing like Zach's reckless anti uh, cavalier anti-condom use. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, that's not at all what I'm advocating for. And part of this chapter is really discussing how STIs are shaming. Like, like, the point of STIs is to shame people. It is slut-shaming people. The history of it is is extremely racist and xenophobic. And, you know, if you think of AIDS as a great example where it was considered the gay disease and this is what you get for being gay – or it was also considered like a black or Haitian disease. And that's like, oh, well, it's a black people get it. So it's, so it was racism, uh, homophobia. And that's where this STI shaming came from. So a part of this chapter is like, hey, we shouldn't be shaming people for having STIs. And in fact, if we didn't shame people for having STIs, people would be more honest. People would be more likely to get tested. People mm-hmm. would, would communicate more. And we'd have less STIs <laughs> if we're communicating and being honest about this. And so I thought I did a decent job conveying this. Uh, Me too. Uh, perhaps I did not. Perhaps there are ways or perhaps just people are so ingrained for condoms, 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 condoms. And I understand. And people are so not aware of queer culture. But I was just like, what? Like, Interesting. You know, and the majority of reviews I'm getting are overwhelmingly positive. And if I get a negative review, like, this is it. They this is why. Uh, and I'm like... Uh, Fuck. Uh, like, I, I guess it was more controversial than I thought, but. Well, not to me. I mean, this part resonated with me a lot. I found the same thing, which was before I came out as bi and started having more sex with people of different genders. Like, I was afraid of STIs. I I bought into the conventional wisdom about condoms, even though I don't like and condoms are condoms. so great. Sorry, and you should like, if you want to use condoms, you should still use condoms. They're your first line of defense against STIs. They are great. Yeah. And I great. still wear condoms with many of my partners, especially my female partners who are not in the scene. Right. Also, an STI for a penis is different than an STI for a vagina or a vulva, and uh, it's a lot. It's it's much easier to deal with penises than it is. So I understand it can affect pregnancy. Like yeah. I understand all of this, but I'm just like so I don't want to make it seem like oh, I'm never doing like. Anyway, you can tell I'm sensitive about this because I'm like, people are fucking saying shit. I'm like, Am I, yeah. did I mess up? Like, you know what I mean? Interesting. Interesting. Well, well, it makes sense because this is, that's the culture we live in. It's, yeah. I mean, so many straight people and especially straight women I've met want to use a condom all the time. And, and like you said, it, you have to respect a partner's choice and respect those boundaries. And it's a very different thing to be the fuck boy. Who's like, I can't have sex without a condom versus yeah. like, okay, we can do that. Just so you know, like, here's what I need. If we're wearing a condom for me to be like aroused and stay hard. And like, yeah. that's a great conversation to have and yeah. very respectful. What, anyway, what, when I first, the first time I had anal sex ever, it was quite vigorous. And the next day I had this two little sort of pimples on my dick and I freaked the fuck out. And I was like, oh my God, anal sex leads to disease. Why did I ever do this? I should have just been straight. <laughs> and I t- talked to my doctor about it, who's a straight woman. 
And she, I didn't, it, it wasn't a great conversation with her. It, I, it made me feel more ashamed and I wasn't sure what was going on. And she suggested, or actually it was my therapist who suggested I see a gay male doctor who knew about this stuff. And he basically told me the philosophy that you're talking about, which is you should get on prep. HIV is a, you know, it's not the end of the world like it once was, but it's something you should try to avoid. And it's very easy to avoid. And it's super easy to avoid. (laughs) You take this pill once a day, you're 99.9% guaranteed to not get HIV. And he said, and then you don't have to worry about it. And everything else is treatable. And it's, you know, it's not fun to have these other things, but everything is treatable. Uh, and, and, And if you're on prep, you're getting tested every three months. So you're aware of stuff and you can hide things off. And that's how I've lived since then. Uh, and, and it makes a lot of sense. My, my doctor even checks in. He'll be like, so would, would you have sex with the HIV positive person? And I'm like, well, I'm on prep. So yeah. And he's like, correct. It's almost like a test. He's like, yeah, that's, also, that's actually answer. a hilarious doctor uh, at this point. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's being sensitive, but he's like testing me. Uh, and, and he's like, and what about other diseases? Are you scared of those? And I'm like, well, I don't want them, but I'm not scared of them. I'm, like, not, I'm not trying to get it. That's not yeah. the goal here. I ask people about their status. Like, yeah. Um, and, and you can figure out different levels that work for you. And that like, so I have a female partner now and kind of our rule is I get tested every six weeks anyway, because I am a boy slut. And that's, if you go any longer than that, you're like, oh shit, how long have I had this? How many people do I need to tell? But I get tested very frequently. And uh, kind of what we do now is after I get tested, it comes back negative. We raw dog to our hearts fucking contents for about whatever it is, usually about three weeks. And then then at that point, I'm like, okay, like there's this gay sex party I want to go to. I'm not going to be wearing condoms there. Then we just wear condoms for the next three weeks. We both complain about it, but we do it. Um, you know, like lovingly complain about it, being like, fuck, I wish we could do this. And then when I get tested again and it comes back negative, we do it. So like half the time we're wearing condoms and that's what makes her feel safe. It's the way we do it. It's clear that she trusts me. She knows I'm not lying to her. And it's a way for us, for her to feel comfortable and happy and having sex. And for me to feel comfortable, happy, and having sex. And if she wanted me to wear a condom every single time, of course I would too. I love her and this is the way we'd have sex, you know, and that's completely great. Or conversely, I'd have to decide whether I want to cut down my shenanigans with other people, Uh, which is a, yeah, don't do, exactly, don't do that. Um, So like, you know, that's what works for us. And that is different than what works for other people. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's your fucking choice with your partner's consent. I like that compromise. That's a nice little uh, negotiation of boundaries and that works. It's interesting though, that that's the controversy. And it reminds me of something you wrote that I was, that I wanted to read, which is about sort of unlearning what society teaches you. You wrote, here's the thing about unlearning what society teaches you. You still live in that society. While you may be more open or dare I say enlightened, most people are not. So you spend your life in opposition to the majority opinion and you have to learn how to interact with everyone else in a manner that doesn't drive you completely bonkers. And now that this relates to so many more things yeah. in your book about as, than STIs, and, and we'll get there in a second. But like, yeah. I think that's there's such conventional wisdom about STIs that, at least for me, was ingrained for most of my childhood, and you know, up until like I started coming out and being surrounded by queer people who think differently. But, but it's hard to break out of it. And so I, I guess it's yeah. not that surprising you're getting that backlash from straight people. Yeah, and also, I just want to be like, you're 100% lying to me. You 100% have gotten drunk and not worn a condom. Like, don't you fucking pretend that you've been 100% perfect. Like, I don't fucking buy it. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that we are hosted by Zencaster and part of the Zencaster Creator Network, and I am very happy to be partnering with them because they have made my podcasting journey so much easier and better. When we started this podcast, we recorded in person in recording studios, which were expensive, or we used other software or Zoom or other makeshift ways of recording locally, which was not very easy. Finally, in season three, 
I just couldn't handle all that anymore. It was too much work. And so I searched for the solution and chose Zencaster. And I've been very, very happy with that choice. They streamline the entire process from recording to editing, to uploading, to distributing and to monetizing now. They record audio locally, which was extremely important to me so that the quality is great and not filtered through an internet connection. So if you're thinking of starting your own podcast, I highly recommend Zencaster. It's super easy. You just log in using your browser. You don't need any special software and you start recording a high quality podcast right away. Studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have the recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. True, that has happened and we always have the recording. Even sometimes I can't see the person during it. They get blurry. When I download that video in the end, it is perfect because everything is recorded locally. And Zencaster is an all-in-one solution. If you've thought about podcasting before and realized that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. So go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code 2BuyGuys, that's T-W-O-B-I-G-U-I-S, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk about like I mean this is sort of related and it's the the first or second chapter of the book which is about sexual shame. Tell us, I mean you your sexual shame also came with OCD, which is interesting. And I think I don't know that I had it to that degree, but I had the same thing too. And I would do stuff like check the alarm clock a lot, and and I also would question my sexuality over and over and and not be sure. And like, and I think what was really clarifying that you wrote about was that you can't really overcome this stuff until you realize that it's okay, that these things are not bad. The thoughts you're having are not bad. And you talk about imagining people naked and Mm -hmm. your therapist helped you realize that like, that's okay. And then that helps you overcome it. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. It's so often... You know, when we experience shame, I I try to kind of get to the root of it, where it's just like, wait, why am I actually feeling this way? Is this because this is uh, induced by religion, by my family? And essentially, I'm asking myself, is this something I actually think is wrong, like like that I should not be doing, and this is behavior that is like unacceptable? Um, And examples of that, you know, lying, cheating, you know, that stuff is like, no, no, no. In my core, I believe that these things are things I shouldn't be doing? Or is this society trying to tell me this is wrong? And uh, honestly, society shames us in various different ways because it's a way for people to maintain power. You know what I mean? Like we slut shame women to keep women tethered to men, uh, to keep, you know, to create and instill the patriarchy, to to keep them lower. Um, You know, the church uses it in a way to attack gay and queer people, to shame them and to, again, maintain and sustain power. So often I like to think like, who or what is trying to shame me? Whose voice am I hearing this in? Is this my mom's voice? Is this my pastor's voice? Um, And if you can kind of get to the really root of it and be like, this is actually not something I think is bad. I don't think there's something that should be bad. It's kind of easier to say, fuck you to it. And then, you know, a big theme in this book that I talk about kind of is community and the my ability to find this bisexual community. And, you know, this is why you have your friends and you reach out to them. I feel like shame thrives in isolation. You know what I mean? When you kind of go through a, a shame spiral yourself and you're like, I'm bad, I'm terrible, I'm this, I, I shouldn't be doing this. And you don't talk to others about it. It just allows it to fester and grow and get worse. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to have that friend group and that community where you're like, hey, I'm reaching out. I'm kind of feeling like shit about this. Uh, What do you guys think? And they'll be like, no, you have nothing to feel bad about. This is whatever it is. You don't need to feel shame. So really 
Yeah, like building that community, having that community, having people you can reach out to so you don't have to experience and kind of go through this um, all alone. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And also you wrote something that really resonated with me as someone who also talks about the sex I'm having quite a bit, especially since coming out, which is you wrote... While having, you have a lot of sex, you write about that in the book. You wrote, while having sex with everyone is great, let me tell you what's even better, talking about sex with everyone. And I think that's so important because it's like, you know, there's a big spectrum of sexuality and not everyone wants to have sex all the time with every gender and be poly and whatever. But the, the real challenge, I think, is to be able to talk about this stuff, no matter where you fall on the spectrum. And I have a lot of like straight married friends and they, they can do what they want and they can be happy having monogamous missionary sex, but some of them are still tied up talking about it. And I think like that's a, a hard hurdle is to just get comfortable talking about it. Have you, what do you think? We have more trouble talking about sex than actually having sex like, yeah. like as, a, as a nation. And I want – and I've made this clear in your book. My, my goal is not for everyone to sleep with 10,000 people and to take loads in a sauna every single day of the week. If you want to, I do want you to embrace that and I love yeah. that for you. But this book is for people who are vanilla, people who are asexual, people who are demisexual, fluid, queer – it's owning your relationship with sex, however that may look. Yeah. And you know, like in it, like the shame you feel is kind of contingent upon the society or the culture that you're in. And what I mean by that is like, if you are obviously the majority of the world and you're in a religious community is like slut shaming, that's the common one. But I get messages for like sex explain at men's health being like, I feel like I'm not nearly set, like sexual enough. I'm too prude. My boyfriend is saying I'm being like ridiculous because I don't want to open up our relationship. And it's 2023 and every gay guy or bi guy in New York has an open relationship. And the fact that I want to wear condoms when everyone else does. And I'm like, first of all, your boyfriend's an asshole. Uh, like they need to respect your relationship with sex. But in, in that situation, it's actually the prude shaming. You know, the condom shaming is what the issue is. So um, I want people to be able to talk about what their sex is and to own their desires. And one thing I make clear in this book is no, and I have a section about this too, where I call it a peg for every hole, which we don't have to get into the kinks too much unless we want to. It gets fucking raunchy. We can. Um, but the whole point of a peg for every hole, it, not just a joke on pegging, but the thing is no matter what your kink is, no matter what your relationship is with sex, whether you want to have it all the time, never have it, only have it with a certain type of person, only after an emotional connection, whatever the fuck it is, you can find someone. Like, like what, one of the most beautiful things I learned about myself um, over the years being a writer is that I am not special. My experiences are not special. My desires are not special. And by this, I mean there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who have the same exact sexual desires and kinks. And that's very liberating to realize that I am not alone mm -hmm. and that we live in this era where through field and fet life or scruff or sniffies, whatever the fuck, like you can actually more easily connect with people in a way that we haven't been able to. It's easier to find people that share your kinks, your sexual desires than ever before. Mm -hmm. And th that's incredible. Like, like, like the fact that we're able to do this and we can do so relatively safely from the anonymity of our own home, you know, like on FetLife and just finding other people of similar kinks, like yeah. we're really lucky because a hundred years from now, if you had a fucking crazy kink, you got to like tell some one person at a bar and pray to God they're into it. Like, and like now it, it's a lot easier. So really like, I, I, like I see the book as like a choose your own journey type yeah. thing and really just like a no owning whatever, whatever your experience, whatever your relationship orientation is, sexual orientation, relationship with sex is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even things that are very, very niche. Now you can find other people and often find other people who live near you and actually explore kind of almost anything. Um, that, that, it, it kind of brings me to something I want to talk about, which is like sort of a bi thing, but expanding beyond that, which is that when I was first coming out and realizing I was bi, like 
I thought I thought that a lot of it had to do with gender and that a lot of my shame had to do with gender and that once I accepted my attractions to multiple genders that like everything would kind of fall into place and it would all make sense and it was transformational but then it also opened up all these other doors to other things about sex and relationships and intimacy that have nothing to do with gender so like kinks and fetishes and like things that turn you on that are different from everything else. You also wrote in the book a lot about like Dom sub dynamics, which are, (laughs) which are in heteronormative culture often tied to gender, but are actually not really inherent to gender. Anyone could be a Dom. Anyone could be a sub regardless of your gender. And then you also wrote about other things like that, that you might need in a sexual situation to turn you on, like lube or toys, or other practical aids, music, yeah, or li- lighting. So did you feel like it was all about gender at a certain point, and then it opened up in the same way? Or did you yeah. did you learn about it differently? Exactly. I think because kind of the first and foremost, I had to be like, who the fuck do I want to fuck? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, who do I want to fuck? Who do I want to date? Who do I want to have a romantic relationship with? And when I'm second guessing every hookup being like, do I like this? Am I into this? Does this make me gay? Or am I straight? Am I bi? Like that was almost like, you know, Maslow's Maslow's what's his name? Hierarchy of needs. I like the first one is being like, who is it that I want that I am attracted to? Yeah. And then once that happens and you're like, Oh, for me, it was everybody. (laughs) You know what I mean? mean, The answer was D all the above. Um, But like once that happened, I was like, okay, now I kind of have more space in my brain to be like, okay, so beyond gender, what's next? What AIDS turned me on? You know, I did not start bottoming till a while after I came out. You know what I mean? And now I'm a fucking black hole at this point. You know what I mean? But like, it's and now I love it. And easy. So if I'm having trouble coming, you just kind of shove a dildo up there and do that, and I'll shoot like a geyser you know what i mean like so so it's like that was another thing that i had to explore and figure out those uh, sexual desires obviously there, there are a million other sexual kinks and stuff that i'm into as well and now i've been able to explore them and i think there's a beauty to being bisexual i think there are many beauties to being bisexual but one like when you are kind of you're already now like considered alternative or queer or on the outskirts of it and you're no longer bound by like heteronormative scripts kind of the same way so it allows you to be like well people are judging me for being bi might as well get fucking weird with it too you know what i mean but you don't feel i feel like sometimes straight people they're so locked into that box versus we versus bi people are like well we weren't allowed into that box so yeah. as queer people, we're going to create our own fucking boxes. So it actually, I think, allowed me to explore more in a different way versus if I was straight, it actually might have been more challenging to explore those kinks because there are those set and hard uh, hard and fast rules, kind of the same. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, rambling, but yeah. Right. No, I feel, I feel the same way. I, I also feel like if lube, like just lube, hadn't been stigmatized in my brain so much like it would have saved me a lot of questioning and confusion because like there was a time before I came out where I was having trouble keep getting staying hard with women because I was so in my head like do I really like women I'm thinking about men am I gay and and before that I had had no trouble but then this period I was having trouble and I never used lube I just thought it like wasn't cool or like women didn't know have it or want to use it or they thought and and now i'm like if i'm not feeling something just get me some lube and start touching for two minutes and I, i'm i'm ready like i just like that sensation and that yeah, feels good um, yeah it, it, it's and even this idea like i pulled out lube kind of been when i'm with women and because they were drier and like literally like been yelled at yeah where they're like i don't need that i'm wet this is i'm so turned on i'm wet this i'm like Okay. Okay. Like, but you can tell, like, just they had shame for not being, you know, wet. And I think, you know, elements of pop culture obviously perpetuate that. Like, like the song WAP, which I fucking love, and I quote in my book, and I'm obsessed with Cardi B. (laughs) But you know what I mean. But if you take that literally, being like, well, shit, I don't have a wet ass pussy. What's wrong with me? I feel shame. Okay, I don't want to. I am wet enough. I don't want to use lube. 
you know, so there are these kind of cultural things that then um, impact us. And in that case, that's a woman feeling shame for feeling like they, they aren't naturally wet enough or something like that. Or a man feeling like, oh, I didn't get my girl get, quote unquote, you know, my girlfriend wet. And that's because I am uh, did something wrong. They're not attracted to me. The sex is bad. It's like, it's so quick, the fucking spiraling mm-hmm. out of control here. Right, exactly. And then and you were also right about like pressure to perform and how that's just sort of antithetical to actually, ha- you know, performing and yeah. you know, having a partner who, you know, is is patient and open to like you, you write a lot about just asking for what you need and listening to the other person and not feeling like it's necessarily about something you're not giving or but it's just something you like and something you need. And it has nothing to do with the relationship itself. We're so afraid to ask for anything because we take rejection so personally. Mm. And so when you ask for what you want and you don't take rejection as personally, and you just kind of see it as information. Oh, I was interested in trying this. Oh, they're not into it. Okay. I'm glad I asked. Like, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. Obviously, right. if they're a dick and they shame you and say that's gross, disgusting, of course you're going to internalize it. And but that person's an asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for the most part, like if you just take rejection or a no as information and not an attack on your self worth or who you are as a person, it makes it easier to obviously be rejected. It makes it more likely for you to ask. And when you start asking for more things, I really do think you'll be surprised at what you will get. Yeah. How many times people will be into it or say yes? Yeah. Right. Uh, many times people are into stuff that you wouldn't know. Well, maybe they didn't know they were into it either. But also many times people I've found, and I do this with other people, is like they may be indifferent to it. It may not turn them on, but they like that it turns you on. Or I mean, for me, there's many things other partners want to do that don't turn me on. But it's cool. It's not, it doesn't turn me off. As long as it doesn't turn me off, then I like that it gets you off. That's what Dan Savage calls like GGG, right? Good game and giving. And it's this idea where it's like, you know, I get turned on seeing how turned on my partner is. So if it's something that's not like a hard no for me or even a soft no for me, but I'm like, "Eh, I'm not sure if I'd be super into that. Okay. You want me to dress up as a baby? Okay. Like, you know, that doesn't not necessarily for me, but if that's something that really turned you on and you want to do that, I'd do that with you. Again, not every time. I don't want that to become the standard or the norm of sex that we have. But like, I just give that example. But like, if it doesn't, you don't necessarily need someone who's obsessed with the same exact things that you are. They just need to be open to it and willing to kind of try it out for you. I also really liked what you wrote about um, anal stimulation and how life-changing it was when you tried it Truly. and the orgasm Truly. is different. For me too. I mean, I and, and you write a whole thing about what it really feels like. I actually got, got a great chapter on butt sex, baby. I got ha- to have that have one to. in there, of course. You have to. I actually took a screenshot and sent it to my group of straight college friends who... I bought all of them for Christmas a couple years ago, a a like vibrating anal toy. And very few of them have used it or at least have admitted to me that they've used it. And I keep trying to tell them like, you you don't know what you're missing. I mean, an orgasm without it is nice. But to me that it feels like I'm sort of in control of the orgasm and that's okay. When, when I'm, anally stimulated and having an orgasm it's like almost out of my control in a nice way in a in a way that's almost indescribable it's like an exercise body of sorts yeah 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 and i want to be clear like it takes some getting used to and i think i didn't realize that as well but i explained that in the book too where it's like first time i tried it i was drunk generally don't do things drunk you know what i mean like like try new things drunk i was so nervous so i was drunk i was clenching for dear life i did not use enough lube i had not cleaned out or douched and was very worried about shitting on his dick and i literally think i said like five times in having sex i'm like i think i think i'm shitting on you he was like no no you're not i'm like what about that time and he's like no you're not and finally around the fifth time he's like if you shit you shit please stop asking um which is just like he was like like that's so fucking annoying and 
I get that. That would be a, a killer for me too if they kept asking anxiously every five seconds if I, they were shitting. And then, and then I went to wipe the next day. I had fissures because I was clenching. It was extremely bloody. And like, I was like, okay, you know what? This isn't for me. This is, I think I, I can, you know, there are so many bottoms in the world anyway. I'm doing the Lord's work by being a top because uh, I know all the bottoms are complaining that they can't find a good top. So, there you know, are so, a, there are so many bottoms on the apps. It's crazy. It, it really, I also love seeing which city you're in, what, what the difference is. Like, Los Angeles is all bottoms, which is pretty funny. Yes. Uh, SF, I saw, had more tops. New York is more verse, but it's like Brooklyn's more tops. Uh, like Manhattan's more bottoms. It's pretty, uh, again, this is all conjecture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not scientifically proven here. But uh, as been <laughs> my experience, and you can definitely see some, definitely some foreign countries, like ones that have like more homophobia. I've noticed a lot more tops, like yeah. whatever it is. But um yeah, I eventually kind of fell in love with bottoming through, uh, it was like a woman who helped me fall in love with bottoming in a way where she was like, Zach, like you've been doing this all wrong. Let me teach you how to do it. And um, I don't want to spoil the chapter too much, but like, it was like a Pandora's box. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden she did this. I'm like, holy shit, this is fucking awesome. And then I was like, all right, stick something in every time. I'm like, let's do it. Gotta have something in the asshole here. And she was like, I just kind of want to have a mission. I'm like, nope, something in the asshole. Let's do it. Um, yeah, yeah. I've since uh, mellowed out. I, you know what I mean? But I think it was just so exciting in the beginning too. And it still yeah. is quite exciting. It is. It is. And you have to really like give in to the sensation almost. If you, oh, yeah. it's, it's similar Can't to fight the, it, baby. right. If you fight it, it's not going to be fun. If you really just let go and don't worry about shitting then it's it's great yeah um, oh yeah I, I was gonna say there's this new party in new york that i haven't been to yet but i kind of want to try it and i think you wrote about a similar party in your in your uh, magazine online um it's called lodestar and there's like a <laughs> bunch of bottoms ass up just waiting and then the tops come in and you sample all the all the holes and then cho- at the end choose the one to to bequeath choose, your load to it's the glass slipper of holes um, yes, yes. and whoever gets the most loads is the load star and the interesting thing is they always they always have enough bottoms by the time the email goes out they're like we are full of bottoms if you're bottom you you can't come to this one sign up for another one we've got enough but they're like tops please come we need please please they're like really trying to get the tops there. I love gay sex parties. I, I think that is my takeaway from it. Fucking, fucking hilarious. And I've been to a party like that. Uh, I went to one called Meat Market, uh, a once a month party. And that name is used uh, by a bunch of places in Amsterdam. And it was like at this like mansion-esque place. I think there were like 200 bottoms and like 30 tops. Like, and they all, but the difference for that was they actually wore hoods so they could not see who was fucking them. And they like, weren't allowed to say no. So they had like a red hood if they wanted condoms, a white hood if they didn't. Like there was, I think two people who wanted condoms, the rest did not. And, you know, if they wanted to break, they had to raise their hand and someone, you know, the the moderator, not moderators, but the, whoever, the people running the event would come grab them with their masks and escort them to a room where they can finally take off their mask and take a break. Um, and I was very, I was just new to coming out when I went to this party. And I remember being like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, this is fucking crazy. My yeah. God. And now I went as a top and now I would love to go as a bottom, but apparently I might not be able to unless if I sign up quick enough, but you it was the- sign up for next year. <laughs> for next year and again it was the same thing where they would mark you a tally you your ass every time you got a wow. for that i think it was fucked not just a load and and then it's like the winner gets like free entry to the next one which was like 22 euros you know what i mean like 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 the, the thing was like literally n- nothing <laughs> like, like absolutely not a real uh prize the winner gets good and truly fucked and a lot of cum. Yeah, that, um, you, yeah, you won. I, they're all winners. When it comes down to it, every single person there is a winner, and I stand by that. 
Speaking of gay sex parties, this is a non sequitur, but I was just at one this week where the theme song to White Lotus came on. Oh, I love that that happens. It was really, really good. It was like uh, the right vibe. It was kind of like... Was this techno remix or was it it that one? It was like a techno remix. There is Uh, like a circuit party White Lotus theme song remix. Yeah. You gotta love the gays. They are on top of their shit. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge was onto something until she was not onto something. But, uh, <laughs> yes, but yes, exactly. No spoilers. God, no, that's no funny. Um, <laughs> Slight spoiler. <laughs> okay, uh, let's let's talk. Let's talk about porn for a minute. Let's go back a little. This is an earlier sure. chapter in your book. But it's you know, porn is a gateway for so many people. Your book, Boy Slut. There's the book buy it <laughs> i haven't i haven't been promoing it enough <laughs> yeah so it's uh you know we've talked a lot on the show about how it's this gateway it's like a safe way to sort of explore different fantasies and that's great but what i what was kind of newish for me in the book was about this question of can you be addicted to porn and even if you can't, you know, maybe it's not so binary that even if you're not addicted, porn is good in many ways, but you should examine if your relationship with porn is serving you well, actually. So how do you find that balance or what's your take on that? The inability to have nuance when discussing porn is mind boggling to me. Just like everyone's like, it is the best. It is great. It allows you to explore your fantasies. The anti-porn people are completely wrong and religious and pushing it like, like porn is great and every aspect of it is great. And like, there are even like some sex educators who kind of frame it in that way. And then you have obviously the anti-porn people who are against any form of consensual sex whatsoever, seemingly, and believe that it's all exploitation. It's all trafficking. It's like, obviously that's not true. And I fall somewhere obviously in the camp of, I think porn can be a great thing. However, we should analyze our relationship with it. And there's su- there's still a debate in the medical community about whether or not porn addiction, addiction, quote unquote, is real. And I'm like, who fucking cares? Like, it, like if it's having a negative impact on your life, you should reconsider your relationship with porn. If you're jacking off to the point that your dick is raw and bloodied, you need to stop. If you're jacking off at the office at work, and you're doing that every single day, and you're now late to work, you're missing meetings, if your wife wants to have sex with you, and you don't want to have sex with her because you're jerking off all day, like, 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 let's acknowledge that it can have a negative impact in your life. However, if it is not, and you're just experiencing shame because you think porn is bad and sex is bad, well, no, fuck that. Enjoy your porn. Enjoy the raunchy, crazy shit that you're watching and enjoying and go to town. And of course, recognize that, you know, real sex is not porn and porn is not sex. It is performative. It is different. Do not compare yourself to these porn stars who have 15 inch dicks, who are also taking Viagra, who can go for hours and they edit out anytime they can't get hard. You know what I mean? So just recognizing that this is fantasy, but like this shit should not be this complicated. And the way that everyone talks about it, I'm like, there's such clear answers to this. And like, and yet people are just either like so in one camp that they, they're so blinded. And I'm like, no, I think porn is a beautiful and great thing. I fucking love watching porn. There have been times in my life where I felt like, I don't know if this was benefiting me. I think I was watching it so much that I didn't want to go on dates or have sex with other people. And I'm like, okay, let's take a step back. And I did. And now I have a healthy relationship with it. So just be honest with yourself, analyze it. And again, don't shame yourself for any of it. I think that's the important thing to note. Like there's nothing wrong with having these fantasies. There's nothing wrong with jacking off. Like, but yeah, beyond that, like enjoy it, analyze it, have fun with it. Right. Exactly. I I love porn, but I, I, but yes, you have to analyze it and your relationship with it. And in, in that period I was talking about where I was unsure of my sexuality and having trouble performing with anyone, uh, I started, I went down this internet rabbit hole about porn-induced ED and this like no fap communities of like sexually frustrated men. And Yeah, that's yeah, not a good rabbit hole to go down. I, I came to that conclusion eventually, but I liked what you wrote about in the book. Like what, what was... You're, you you also wrote about like sometimes when you're fucking a real person, you start imagining porn to stay hard. And like, how do you 
break out of that. I've talked about this with my therapist, so I have some answers too, but yeah. what was your journey with that? I think a lot of it was, yeah, there was a time where I was struggling getting hard and like I could only get hard or calm if I was imagining porn. And I was like, you know what? Let's take a step back from porn. And, but like kind of the research shows that like porn induced ED is, it's kind of adjacent to it. What's happening is actually what you're craving is this novelty seeking and these new things. So actually the focus should be on doing new and exciting things with your partner and focusing on your partner. The issue kind of becomes if you're actually having more stale sex or stuff that you're not enjoying with your partner, then your brain goes to porn. But if you're keeping things exciting, trying new things and novelty, your brain is less likely to go to porn. However, sometimes it's easier to just think about porn than to have that conversation with your partner being like mm -hmm. being vulnerable and being like, I want to try new things. I feel like our relationship, again, you don't have to say, I feel like our sex life is stale. There are other ways around that instead of being like, Hey, I would really love to try these new things with you and then list those. So the answer there is like, okay, actually let's lean in more to our partner and try new things instead of relying on our thoughts. But sometimes I, I'm the same fucking way. I still have this where it's just like, you know, like sex is good. I need that little push over the edge to come. So I imagine something nasty as fuck in my head. Great. Mm -hmm. Fine. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, this is what my therapist said to me, which is like, you know, there's there's sort of the best way I think I've found to deal with it is you got to get out of your head when you're in that loop, if you can. And the best way for me to do that is to focus on actual sensations in my body I love that. and not worry about in that moment, at least not worry about pleasing my partner and not worry about performing or what they're thinking of me, which is a, a vicious downward spiral when you start thinking of stuff like that, but just feel your body and feel what feels good and ask exactly. for what feels good. But another thing actually is it's okay to think about porn. Like the real bad part was when I would imagine porn to get hard and then tell myself that's bad that I'm doing that and then worry that my partner could tell that I'm doing that. And then it doesn't work. Then it's a really bad move. Do you have any guys I've blown while they're watching porn? Like it's much more accepted in the gay community to be like, yeah, we want that extra stimulation. It feels good. And you kind of know they're imagining someone else, but like it's still hot because I love sucking dick and they're still enjoying it. And like, right. Yeah. Well, like I've definitely sucked a dozen, if not more dicks where they're just watching porn on the screen and it's kind of hot hearing the moaning in the background. Like that's right. fine. Right. Yep. Yeah. Once you let go of the, the idea that these things are bad or even should yeah. be shameful, then, then you can kind of move past them. You're listening to the season six premiere of Two Bye Guys. Thanks so much for being here. The free version of this episode is almost over, but there's even more bonus content on my Patreon. There's about 20 more minutes of this episode over there. We talked about Zach's porn star boyfriend. We talked about our thoughts on starting our own OnlyFans and collaborating. We talked about sexual queerness versus cultural queerness, non-monogamy and polyamory, and Zach's journey with those things. And we also talked about the play parties that Zach has been hosting in New York, Boy Slut and Buy Slut. So check out my Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes for this episode or in the link tree on the Two Bye Guys profile on all of our social media. Or you can head to Patreon and search for Two Bye Guys or for me, Robert Brooks Cohen. If you subscribe, you'll get more bonus content for every future episode. You'll also get early access to the episodes and a completely ad-free experience. You can listen to the whole episode there, the full episode without ads. So check it out, and thank you so much for your support and for listening to Two Bye Guys. Thank you so much for being here, Zach. Time number two on Two Bye Guys. It's a first. It's great to have you back and talk thank about the, the next level of your bye journey and the book. Um, where can people buy the book? Where can people find you and your work? Yeah, the, the, I mean, buy, you can buy it everywhere books are sold, you know, Amazon too. It's Boy Slut, one word. Uh, if you do two words, you start getting into some weird shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can buy it on that. You can buy it on a bookshop. 
local bookstores. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm more active on Instagram. I'm trying to get off Twitter for my mental health. It is a slow <laughs> process. But that is Zachary Zane underscore. I have the digital zine, the erotica thing. If you just type in Boyslet, that will also come up. It's the Substack, And then just ZacharyZane.com if you want to reach out, ask questions, all of that good stuff. Awesome. Check out his work. Check out the men's health column, the zine, the book, everything. Boy slut, Zachary Zane, the professional yes. bisexual mega influencer. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for coming back and being here. Awesome. Thank you so much. Two Bye Guys is produced and edited by me, Rob Cohen, and it was created by me and Alex Boyd. Our logo art is by Caitlin Weinman. Our music is by Ross Mincer. We are supported by the Gotham, and we are part of the Zencaster Creator Network. Use promo code 2 Guys to get 30% off. Thanks for listening to 2 Bye Guys. <laughs>